Target continues to suffer under consumer boycott. The debt ceiling debate nears an end, but what end? Kohl's decides to destroy their business by providing LGBT designer clothes for babies. And Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Anthony Bass apologizes for supporting Christian doctrine. This is Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam, and it's time to crank it up. Thanks for listening today. For those of you who are listening live, uh, you've already found the website. It's drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. And if you would, spread the word for us, will you? Pass it on that that website exists and that if you click on the Listen Live icon in the middle of the website, you can listen live every morning. You can also watch watch us on YouTube. You can see us on Facebook. Uh, Go to, to Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. That's with the Facebook page where you can find us live, and of course the live broadcasts are then posted there, and we've got a podcast. You can find the podcast. All you have to do is go to wherever, I think now, that you get your podcast, whether that be Spotify or iTunes podcast or, or rather Apple podcast, uh, just about anywhere. It's, you should be able to download it. You can use my name, Dr. Tony Beam, or you can download it under Truth and Politics and Culture. Uh, should be able to find it both places. And, and downloading, it's easy. All you have to do is, is just say that you want to receive it. It doesn't cost anything. There's no subscription rate. It's like the best things in life. It's free. You can just uh, have it come to your smart device every day. What what a, what a great thing, huh? Um, hopefully. So anyway, thanks again uh, for joining us. I, uh, before we dive into the Target situation which Coles has decided now to join Target in destroying their business for, for the sake of the LGBT community and to celebrate Pride Month, which, by the way, begins tomorrow, and we'll talk a little bit about that today as well. Um, but before we dive into all that, I, I want to wrap up a little bit of the conversation that I had yesterday about, yesterday about the debt ceiling debate because um, we're getting to the end of the debate, it appears, we had a House committee yesterday voted seven to six by one vote to advance the debt ceiling bill that is a compromise between Biden and McCarthy over to the House. Now, whether or not that bill is going to pass in the House, there are about 20 Freedom Caucus Republicans that have come out and said not over. Uh, the only way this is going to pass can be over our dead body. And I get it. Uh, again, I said this yesterday. This is not a great deal. Um, it's a it's a poor deal, but it's probably the only deal that can be had given the circumstances politically that exist in Washington. And I think as as voters, as consumers, as conservatives, as people who care about the country and the direction we're going, we have to understand what needs to be done to make this better. You can't force your will on two branches of government when you only control one branch of government. And I know what President Trump, former President Trump has said, we ought to just default, let the whole thing go down in flames, force the Democrats 
to come around. Actually, if we default, the media, I mean, if you, if you believe that the media is going to blame Democrats and that that's going to be the stories that are out there, um, I, I, I just, I, I can't, I, well, I don't think you believe that. Um, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because that, that, to me that would just be, we know what the media is going to do. They're going to portray this as President Biden coming to the table, kicking and screaming. Yes, he declared that he was not for 93 days, ever how long it was. He declared he was not going to negotiate, and then he was forced to negotiate. Um, that's a political victory. Whether we want to admit that or not, it is. Because when you start with a position that says, we're not even going to have a conversation, and you're forced to have a conversation by actions that you take, that is a political move that has caused a response from the person that you're opposing. And, and that, that position was always untenable. Biden really believed, the president believed, that he could make Republicans bend to his will just by saying, I'm not even going to talk to you about it. And I, it, as I said yesterday, I don't think that he, nor any of his aides, nor any of the Democrats, actually believed that the Republicans, under Kevin McCarthy's leadership, could get something through the House that would force him to the negotiating table. But that's exactly what happened. Now, again, what we got is pitiful. Um, I'm not saying that it isn't. I mean, if I sat here and told you that this is a great deal and that Republicans got a lot of concessions, I, I couldn't call this show Truth and Politics and Culture anymore. I'd have to call it propaganda in culture and politics, I guess. Uh, because the, the truth is, it's not a great deal. But it is something. And something, again, is better than nothing when you don't hold the levers of power. And if, this thing was never going to make a huge difference for the very simple fact that Republicans began by agreeing with Democrats that the third rail of politics would not be touched. I mean, we're talking about discretionary spending. We're talking about non-military discretionary spending. We're not talking about touching Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security. T entitlement programs that are bankrupting the country, that are, that are going to force us into extreme austerity measures at some point. If we don't get real entitlement reform, we're going to get real pain when it comes to the government having to raise taxes precipitously, when it comes to the government having to uh, just cut spending in areas that's going to hurt average Americans. And we're going to scream and we're going to yowl and we may be like the French. We may take to the streets and burn cars. And I hope that's not the case. Believe me, I, nobody wants to see that. But I'm just saying that the austerity measures that are going to be necessary, in, in, unless we wise up and make real changes to the entitlement programs that are the main driver of debt, discretionary spending is not the main driver of debt in this country. And so we're, we're not even addressing, I, I want everybody to understand, we're not even in this deal when we're talking about that it's a bad deal, we're not even addressing the real problem, we're addressing the window dressing, the stuff that is, yeah, we can slow it down, but we're not going to be able to stop it because we have the House. We don't have the House, Senate, and the White House. Now, under President Trump, when we had the White, the White House, the Senate, and the House, 
when Republicans controlled all of that, we still got bad debt ceiling deals. And that's why it's fascinating to me that President Trump's out there telling Republicans, just hold the line, go in to, to let the country default. It's not going to be a, ba a big deal. It'll be a couple of bad days, and then things will be back to normal. Do I know 100% that that's not the case? No. Uh, I, I can't sit here and tell you that the end result of the U.S. actually defaulting, we've never done that before. And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you really don't know what's going to happen until it happens. We've gotten within a couple of days of defaulting, and we saw what, the, what it did to the stock market. Those, there are those who say that a default means a crash in the market, a guaranteed recession, and that's something that Joe Biden doesn't want because he wants to get reelected. He's running for president again. He's not going to get reelected in an economy that has been submarined by the fact that we decided we're not going to pay off our debt. And, and believe me, I want real measures to reduce the debt. I want to see genuine progress being made. But nobody's seriously talking about that. We're talking about nibbling around the edges that's not going to make a whit's worth of difference, even if the entire Republican deal that passed through the House was totally accepted by the Democrats, which was never going to be the case. That was never going to happen. For people who thought that the Republicans were going to get everything that they passed that bill, that, that, that's not realistic, or even a majority of those things. Because, again, we, we have a narrow margin in the House— we do not have the Senate and the, and the presidency. And, and the fact that we've been able to force some concessions, some reallocation of money from the IRS, about $30 billion, some reallocation of COVID money that's just sitting there, about $30 billion, um, some restriction. We're restricting spending, discretionary spending, by about 1%. It's nothing compared to what the Republicans wanted. It's much more than what President Biden wanted because he wanted nothing. And so the fact that we're getting something is a step ahead. So, look, I admire and appreciate the principle behind taking a stand and saying, we're just not going to vote for this. We're going to run into default. I understand the principle, but what I don't understand is the expectation, how we think that we're, we were ever going to get something that would make Republicans happy about the deal. We simply wanted to get something from Biden. We wanted to get him off of this idea that he could just tell everybody to shut up, sit down, and raise the debt ceiling, which is what he's been saying for, as we said earlier, about 93 days before he finally decided to negotiate. It makes him look weak that he had to come to the table. And I know people are saying, well, it's the Republicans that are weak because they always do this. They always cave. Well, here's the, here's the thing that concerns me. I don't, I, if, if Republicans cave when they have the ability to do something because they have the majority, to me, that's when Republicans need to be tossed out on their ear. That's why I believe there are six senators in South Carolina that need to lose in the upcoming election in 2024, because when they had the chance and we had Republican majorities, they joined Democrats to stop the Human Life Protection Act. That's when I've got a problem. But 
I, 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 the biggest problem. But how, how can I say that this is a complete and total disaster for Republicans when they actually started with the president saying, we're doing nothing, and they ended up with something? Now, I don't, I'm not, I don't know whether this is going to pass. I imagine that it will pass in the House. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the Senate, but I expect it'll pass in the Senate, and we'll get past the debt ceiling uh, moment, and we'll move on. And there'll be things that Republicans can take away from this as a victory. There'll be things that Democrats can take away from this as a victory. There'll be things that both sides hate, and that's the art of compromise. And I don't like compromise. I mean, I want what's best for the country. And it's not best for the country, though, if we're going to back up that far. As I said in the beginning, it's not best for the country that we're sitting here ignoring the third rail of politics, which is the real drag on the economy that's heading us into insolvency eventually. And that's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the entitlement programs. So um, just, just a little clarification. I, look, I don't like the deal. Um, I would like to have more. I don't think we can get more in this environment. So what do we need to do? We need to vote some senators out, and we need to get a president who will stand firm, not back down, but demand real financial responsibility once we get people in Congress that will agree with him. I mean, we, the people that we send to Washington need to be Republicans who believe in fiscal responsibility and stop ignoring this because Republicans and Democrats are equally guilty here of allowing $31 trillion worth of debt. I mean, this is piled up under both sides. And the only way it's going to change is with a leader who won't back down and senators and House members that put the interest of the American people and our families and our future in front of all the special interest groups and the people that are able to bring pressure to bear against these senators and House members. And that, that means, folks, participating in elections. It means mobilizing in states where Senate seats are up for grabs, where House seat, well, that's every state because the House, the entire House turns over every two years, or at least has the possibility of turning over every two years. So these are the kind of things that we need to pay attention to going into this 2024 election. This is just another, this debt ceiling debate and debacle and what came out of it, what kind of deal we're going to get, all of that should be a flashing red sign pointing toward 2024 and how we have to change seats in the Senate, in the House, and in the White House if we're going to have better policy. And I, I think that much is clear. All right, Target uh, uh, customers are targeting their store right now for boycotts. I mean, when, when you look at what Target customers are doing, um, a lot of the people who shop at Target have decided they're going to find somewhere else to buy their clothes. Now, Kohl's is not going to be an option if they're going to be consistent. You know, I've, I've said a long time for a long time that boycotts are, are very difficult to pull off, but you know what? The American people seem to be in the mood for a boycott. Most boycotts don't work because not enough people get involved. 
but enough people got involved in the Bud Light boycott to just about destroy a brand. And there's enough people in the Target boycott right now to cost them $10 billion in revenue since they launched a line of clothing that was aimed at children with LGBTQ messaging. Target also launched the tuckable swimsuits uh, for those who need help hiding the fact that they're male. These are swimsuits that are made for women that allow men to pretend they're women and to be able to, to help them to pull that off when they put on these swimsuits and go to the beach. And that's, that's about all I can tell you about that. But I think your imagination, your intelligent people, you can figure it out what that's all about. But Target stores are not the only place that their value is dropping. In other words, it's not just that people are not going into the store as much. And we've got anecdotal evidence. I was talking to somebody yesterday who said that in their hometown uh, where there's a Target, and this is in Tennessee, I think, uh, the, the parking lot was empty. I mean, it was almost completely empty over the weekend. And you go in the store and there's only a few people in there. Now, I don't know if that's happening here in Green. I don't go to Target. I mean, I'm, I'm rarely ever in there. Occasionally, I would go into Target if I'm thinking something that I need. I am kind of a person who likes to buy things locally if I can find them, rather than just simply opening up Amazon and having it delivered in a couple of days. That may be convenient, but when you start talking about companies that are woke and are trying to transform American culture, uh, you have to put t Amazon at the top of the list. And, and so for that reason, plus, and, that, and I'm not saying I don't ever buy from Amazon. I'm just telling you that that's who they are. Um, it, but, but I like to go in to, to a store, purchase something that I can hold in my hand and support local businesses. But oftentimes that's hard to do because you can't find the products that you're looking for. For whatever reason, stores are, are not stocking a lot of things that you can buy at Amazon, and that's fueling part of the problem. But in any event, I haven't been to Target in a long time, but I can tell you, so I don't know what the one here in Greenville, the one in Spartanburg, if they're suffering, but I can tell you that nationwide, their stock has dropped from $160 a share down to $138. Now, the slide in the value of Target stock has been going on for six consecutive sessions. So it's this is not something that looks like it has a bottom to it yet. It's actually getting worse for Target as this boycott goes along. And whereas before, boycotts have not reached enough people or enraged enough people, or caused enough backlash that they've actually made a difference, now it looks like with Target, certainly with Bud Light, but certainly now also with Target, it is making a difference. Because enough people, that's, that's what boycotts require. They require the number of people necessary to be able to say, I'm not going to shop there, and it makes a big enough difference on the bottom line that people back off. They begin to say, well, you know, this is obviously we, we you know, we, we can't sustain our business and pay our employees if, if this kind of boycott continues. And Target's already responded. I mean, they've taken some of the items out of their, um, out of the uh, catalog, so to speak. I mean, they've stopped offering some of the items. And, and for all the rest of the items, most of the stores, 
particularly in areas that are susceptible. A lot of the southern stores have moved their pride materials all the way to the back of the store, as if that somehow makes it better. I mean, I, as long as they're still offering tuckable swimsuits and they're offering onesies with pride statements on it to influence children and they think that's cute, I don't care if they sell it in the front of the store, beside the store, or 10 blocks away in a store that they changed the name for. It's still Target marketing this stuff to children. And that's what's turned the tables here. I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, in my mind, we've come to a place where homosexual marriage and, and, all, and the, all of that goes with it has become fairly common. And so during Pride Month, this is going to start happening tomorrow. If you've got apps on your phone, um, I know I've, I've got Paramount on my phone. I was watching the uh, John Luke Picard, the Star Trek, Trek series that was kind of wrapping up. Uh, the Star Trek series. I have the Paramount app for that. And the third season, by the way, but the second season was terrible. The third season was amazing if you're a Star Trek fan. So my app tomorrow is going to turn rainbow colors. I mean, I guess it did last year during the month of June. So coming up in June, you're going to have all this gay, pro you're going to be forced to care about the LGBTQ plus ST hyperstand signed agenda. I mean, I, it, there's, I, I don't know how many letters you can add to this, but it keeps expanding. But you're going to be made to care. It's going to be in your face. It's going to be on television. You're going to have corporations running commercials that are celebrating Pride Month. I mean, all this stuff is going to be happening um, during the month of June. You know every year. I mean, that's the year that everybody has to go worship the altar of sexuality, or at least that's what they want us to do for a month. Now, since the slide, getting back to Target, since the slide has removed a lot of the products and, and, and as I said, and moved others to the back of the store, you've got economists coming out, some of them at least, and accusing Target of giving in to, get this, terrorism. Now, this is all part of a narrative that is woven together. And I, and I don't want you to miss this. You know, we're, if, if you're a Christian, or maybe you're, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're not somebody who actually says that they've given their life over to Jesus Christ, maybe you're just a person who has moral values that says children shouldn't be dropped into onesies that promote same-sex lifestyles as babies. I mean, it's one thing for an adult to go do whatever they do with their time and make the decisions they make. It's another thing to use children to exploit a message. And that's what's really driving everybody. So here's, here's what qualifies you as being a terrorist these days, according to people like Justin Wolfers, who is a University of Michigan economist. In order for you to be a terrorist, all you have to do is stand up for traditional values that relates to sexuality. All you have to do is say to a, a, a corporation like Target, when Target decides they're going to push an agenda on you as a customer, you as the customer get to decide whether or not you're going to allow that agenda to be pushed onto you. And if you push back, I mean, we're just supposed to let corporate America tell us how to live. 
We're not supposed to live by principles. We're not supposed to live by what our church teaches. We're not supposed to live by what we believe to be right and true. We have to knuckle under. I mean, after all, this is corporate America. And if you dare disagree with those who are pushing the uh, corporate agenda that the LGBTQ plus uh, uh, lifestyle has got to be on display from every single business, every single platform, everywhere you go, you can't avoid it. If you disagree with that, then according to Wolfers, you're a terrorist. Here's what he had to say on MSNBC. Target caves into this then it says that the moment you threaten the employees of even a very large corporation, you get to control its policies. This is economic terrorism, literally terrorism, creating fear among the workers and forcing the corporations to sell the things you want and not sell the things you don't. Okay, now, first of all, this creating fear among the workers nonsense is ridiculous. Target used that as an excuse. When they moved their uh, LGBTQ-friendly line of baby clothes and tuckable swimsuits to the back of the store, first of all, they got rid of some of those things, but mostly they just moved them from the front of the store to the back of the store. They released a statement saying they're doing that for the safety of their employees. So they're insinuating here that you know, they're going to be right-wing extremists come in and start beating up employees if, if, they don't, if, if they don't move this material to the back. So they're trying to signal to the LGBTQ community, look, we're with you. We've just got to move this stuff to the back because our employees that you care about, because a lot of, evidently, not, I don't know how many, but there are LGBTQ plus people working at Target, they're becoming the target of extremists who are coming in and and doing something to hurt them. And there's not there's no evidence of that. In fact, the evidence is counter to that. The evidence is, and we know this for sure, that in three states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, um, oh, I can't remember the next the the third state, Utah, Utah. It's Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Utah. Target stores have been the, the subject of bomb threats, and the bomb threats that they're getting, the emails that they're getting in those three states, are not from conservative extremists. They're not from Christians. They're coming from the LGBTQ community, self-identifying as such, that they're getting these bomb threats because they're caving in because they've moved some of these clothes to the back of the store. So the real danger to the employees is not coming from the right, it's coming from the far left. The threats, in fact, were from individuals who are upset with Target moving the items. One email thread said this, quote, Target is full of cowards who turned their back on the LGBT community and decided to cater. And, and here's, what, here's what the LGBT community thinks about you, by the way. I mean, again, you, you don't have to be coming at this from a particular religious perspective, although a lot of people do, me included. But if, if you just simply disagree with it, this is, what, this is how they, they speak about you. Target's being accused in this email of turning their back on the LGBT community and deciding to cater to the homophobic, right-wing, redneck bigots. That's who you are. 
You're a homophobe. You're a redneck. You're a bigot. You're all of those things. You're a right-wing extremist if you don't think that babies should be clothed in outfits that promote the LGBTQ plus lifestyle, including transgenderism. That Target shouldn't be carrying bathing suits that help men disguise themselves as women when they go out on the beach. If, if you think that's not a good idea, if you just simply believe that that's not something that you want you or your family to be exposed to, then you are a homophobe, a bigot, a redneck. I mean, how can they get away with this? See, Christians are the only ones that, that actually you can go out and bash and call names like this. I mean, you, you, can, you can call them anything you want, and then they have to apologize once they're called out. Let, let, let me talk about this Toronto Blue Jays player here for a second because, I mean, to me, this, this, is, a, this is pretty sad. Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Anthony Bass apologized on Tuesday for sharing a post on social media, listen to this part now, encouraging Christians to boycott companies and brands such as Target and Bud Light for how they've embraced the LGBTQ community. Now, this is, this is a person who has the right to express his opinion like everybody else. Just because he's a Major League Baseball player doesn't mean that he should have to go hide in a closet somewhere. So he comes out and he expresses a Christian biblical worldview on social media, and he encourages others to take up that Christian biblical worldview. And what happens? Well, he ran into the Blue Jays' front office, and the Blue Jays' front office turned this Christian who has values and principles and morals that are rooted and grounded in the biblical witness, it turned him into this. I recognize yesterday uh, I made a post respectful to the community, which includes friends of mine and close family members of mine, and I am truly sorry for that. Um, I just spoke with my teammates, took them, shared with them my actions yesterday, and apologized with them. And as of right now, I'm using the Blue Jays' resources to better educate myself to make better decisions moving forward. Uh, the ballpark is for everybody. Uh, we include all fans at the ballpark, and we, we want to welcome everybody. That's all I have to say. Okay, yeah, that's all he has to say, and that's quite enough. I mean, several things about this video that we need to pay attention to. First of all, he had to do it because it even after daring to suggest that the, the Christian view is legitimate, the, the management of the Blue Jays got to him and told him, you're going to apologize or there will be con consequences. And even though he's apologized, there may still be consequences because in this story, as we get, it's Toronto manager John Schneider indicated he believes there needs to be more than just an apology from Bass. Now, I wonder what that more is. I mean, are they going to put him in the public stocks? Are they going to stand him out in front of the baseball stadium so that when people come by, they can shame him or make fun of him in public? Um, are they going to cut his salary? Are they going to trade him? Are they going to bench him? Or wh what are they going to do? Schneider went on to say, we're not going to pretend like this never happened. What happened? 
What, what, what is it that we shouldn't pretend like it never happened? Oh, that a person would dare express their Christian convictions on social media concerning the LGBTQ community. The LGBTQ community can come out, call Christians homophobes, rednecks, right-wing extremists, and a lot of other names that I can't mention on the program, and that's fine. But you let a Christian stand up for their values— and you, you've got a ton of bricks dropped on them, metaphorically. I mean, the, the whole organization is going to come after them. So we're not going to pretend like this is the end and then move on. There are definitely more steps that are going to follow. That's a threat. It's a threat against Christians. And Christians right now are, and Jews are about the only groups that you can threaten and get away with it. In fact, the, the lamestream, mainstream media outlets will praise you and, and congratulate you if you threaten Christians because they think that's the right thing to do. And that's, that's the same thing that we're hearing from someone like Wolfers from the University of Michigan who accuses Christians of being terrorists simply because they decide to shop somewhere other than Target because they don't think it's a good idea to exploit children and babies and use them as props in an LGBTQ propaganda operation. I mean, that's... And then as we look at this a little bit deeper, we discover that Carlos Saavedra who's Target's VP of brand marketing. Now, you know, brand marketing. In other words, this is the person who's in charge of making you think about Target and branding Target as what kind of company that they are. Um, Carlos Saavedra is on the board of the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network known as GLSEN. Now, nothing wrong with that. He's a... Carlos Saavedra is a, um, is a grown person. Uh, they can make their own decisions about what they want to support. But we need to understand the backdrop here. If they're in charge of marketing, brand marketing, they're the one, and, and it's their team that's deciding how far to go with pushing the LGBTQ agenda. And should we be surprised when they decide they want to push it to the point that they're actually alienating customers when we find out that this person is on the board of GLSEN? And, of course, Target's been aff affiliated with GLSEN for about 10 years. While, while only mentioning gay and lesbian in their title, which is what they, what they do, you know, it's the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, they've been targeting public schools with transgender propaganda for years. The group has sent 46,000 LGBT-themed books with explicit sexual content, and they openly lobby in school districts for school policies that hide children's or students' transgender tendencies from their parents. In other words, they go, they go out and they tell public schools school boards, they advocate for making sure that parents are cut out of the loop, making sure that parents don't know what decisions their children are making at school, making sure that parents are lied to by public school officials to hide any evidence that their child might be flirting with transgender ideas. And then, of course, the school openly promotes those transgender ideas and welcomes organizations like GLSEN into the public school system to do this and then hide it 
from the parents. And folks, I, you know, we're, if we allow this, then we're guilty. Now, right now, the pushback is considerable. But my question is, is, it gonna, is this something that we're going to be able to maintain? So far, the Bud Light boycott is being maintained, and it's doing a lot to hurt Anheuser-Busch's bottom line. Now, I don't know if that's going to change their behavior, but it's sending a message that the majority of the country, whereas I think the majority of the country is willing, even though I, I don't think it's right that, that, the, that same-sex marriage and all those things, of course, as a born-again Christian, coming from my perspective, those things are sinful behavior. So, I mean, and I'm not going to back away from that. I'm not. Now, I don't have the Toronto Blue Jays with a re-education program, which is exactly what Anthony Bass was talking about a minute ago when he basically said, you know, I've talked to the Blue Jays, they've, uh, they're my teammates, and the Blue Jays' um, office is helping me better understand these things. In other words, we're going to take your Christian values and we're going to excise them because we, we can't allow you to live out your Christian faith and play baseball for the Toronto Blue Jays. And, you know, I'm just going to say, um, I mean, I'm, it, it's, 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 a, it's a tragedy that Anthony Bass is still pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays. I know it's millions of dollars. I know it's Major League Baseball. I get that he's got a responsibility to look after his family and to try to provide for them. But when you have to apologize for your Christian views when you have to go on and make a video in order to keep your job and and deny that the things that you said were the truth when you know them to be true um I mean that's a tragedy and it's I mean I I feel for Anthony Bass because he's betrayed his deepest held religious beliefs for a paycheck. And folks, let, let me just say, as Christians, that decision is going to come to each one of us. It's not just going to be to Major League Baseball players. It's going to be to everybody before this thing is done. Because this is how. It's, abortion is certainly one of the issues that, I mean, it's front and center in most Christians' minds because they understand the necessity of protecting life in the womb but I'm telling you, the thing that they're going to use to drive us out of the public awareness or the public debate to get us out to the margins of the culture is going to be the LGBTQ plus agenda. You're going to be forced to agree. And as a born-again believer, I accept the fact that we live in a country that's embraced this stuff, but I will not agree to it no matter what pressure is brought because that would compromise the commitment that I've made to the truth of God's Word and to Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I'm not going to go after the LGBTQ plus community. I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't hate them or wish them any ill will until they come into my space, and I'm still not going to hate them or wish them ill will, but I'm not going to allow the pressure that they can bring to bear to change what I believe is right and true about the Word of God. We have to take a stand. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking to Timothy about when he said the days would come when all these things would be happening around us. And then the test 
of us as believers is going to be what we do when we're called to live in that day. We're here. What are we going to do? I'm encouraging you from one believer to another who understands what I'm asking here. I'm asking you to stand for the truth. Believe God more than you believe man or the the dictates of man. Embrace the truth of God and take a stand. Do it in love. I mean, don't, you know, and I still, I get a lot of people that get mad at me when I talk about that we should be kind and in the way that we respond. I'm not backing down from that because that's what the Bible says. It says that just as much as it says I'm supposed to defend a biblical viewpoint of sexuality. I'm also supposed to defend the way that we engage in the debate in the culture. And it says that we're to do it with love, not compromising, not backing up, but not engaging in the kind of rhetoric that I sometimes see Christians engaging in and going after people and calling them names. Let them be the ones. If, the, if there's going to be name-calling and disparaging of people, let that come from the people who don't have the biblical worldview. And those of us that have it, we need to set an example for them and for the rest of the world. Now, back to Glisten and their relationship with Target that's been going on for 10 years. Target's giving, given millions of dollars to Glisten over the years. And they, when, when they go into the public school, we talked about the fact, the, the, the books that they provide, the counsel that they provide to public schools to, to encourage um, teachers to hide transgender issues from parents. But here, something else that they're doing is they do all of this under the cover of bullying. In other words, they'll say, well, what, what we're really doing is trying to present bullying. No, their stated goal is to promote the LGBTQ lifestyle and agenda to children as young as six all the way up to age 18. That's their stated agenda. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with bullying. They can say that, but, it, but that's not the reason. Target claims that they've received bomb threats. We talked about that earlier and where those bomb threats are coming from, not from the right-wing, homophobe, uh, extreme Christ, redneck Christians, which is what this economist called Christians who would boycott Target, but that the bomb threats are actually coming from progressives, the far left, who are upset that Target would dare give in and stop promoting an LGBTQ agenda with children that they would dare do that. This is how committed the people are to the LGBTQ agenda and making sure that no one dare question them. Um, that They're willing to make bomb threats to Target. California Governor Gavin Newsom put out a tweet last week saying that Target CEO Brian Cornell is selling out the LGBTQ plus community to extremists. If you believe that exploiting children to promote the LGBTQ agenda, and if you believe that transgender activists are trying to promote um, puberty blockers, the use of puberty blockers, cross-hormone treatments, even surgery to alter, to, to alter them and to mutilate them for life, if you support any of those things, I mean, if you're against those things and think those things are wrong, then you're an extremist. Who's the extremist here? 
I mean, folks, it seems to me that it's extreme to use children in this manner and to not think twice about it. That, that To me, that's what's extreme. Not the people that are saying, we, we don't want to see this. We, we don't think this is proper and right for our children. But he went on. He went on to say. He said it doesn't stop here. He said that this is you. You're selling out Target to the extremist in the community. And then he said this doesn't stop here. This is Gavin Newsom. You're black. You're Asian. You're Jewish. You're a woman. You're next. So in other words, uh, uh, the redneck homophobes, which again the name calling against Christians who are standing for biblical truth, that that what we really want to do is that we're not just standing up against something that we believe is wrong and exploiting children. What we really want to do is come after all these other groups. And that's ridiculous. See, again, mainstream Christianity has nothing to do with white supremacy. Mainstream Christianity has nothing to do with hatred or bomb threats or threatening people in general. Mainstream Christianity is about standing for the truth, believing the truth, putting forth the truth in love, and not caving like Anthony Bass. I mean, like Drew Brees. I mean, these are high-profile Christians that once they were confronted with the reality that they now live in a world where they can't be, they're not going to be tolerated. Christian views are not going to be tolerated. They back up in order to keep their job and their paychecks. And that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's no evidence, none, that mainstream Christians are out organizing to come after blacks and Jews and Asians and everybody else, women. Everybody else, by the way, what is Governor Newsom talking about women for? I thought woman was a construct. It's not a, it's not a real thing. What is he concerned about? I mean, coming after women? Um, if women don't exist, it's kind of hard to come after them, except in what your mindset. I mean, that's, that's what the LGBTQ plus community wants you to believe, is that a woman is defined by how you define your gender and your sexuality. And, I mean, common sense tells you that that's not true, that there's male and female. Conservatives say that they're not extremists. They're simply trying to protect children from sexualized messaging and from companies pushing what they see as a dangerous agenda. And over the weekend, and this is going to be up to customers as to what they decide to do. Over the weekend, Kohl's rolled out its LGBTQ attire for children, including a pride onesie for babies and for little kids now. And Kohl's is is facing a boycott, but they're standing by their decision. Now, you know, they're, they're saying to their customers, it's more important for us to support this agenda being pushed to and through children than it is to respond to our customers. You know, I, I would just like to, to go back to the day when corporate America, and instead of getting in the middle of all these cultural issues, they were neutral. They, they make a product. They welcome everybody, but they don't cater to or become pawns of a particular group. 
I mean, I'm not asking Target to start carrying um, a, a line of Christian clothing or to, you know, even, I mean, I think it's fine for them to carry Christian-themed books, or, but, but I'm, not, I'm not out banging the drum trying to get them to make decisions that pushes who I am as a believer on other people. But Target is perfectly willing to listen to the people who would push this this LGBTQ plus agenda on people, they're perfectly willing to respond to them. All right. One more story today. Well, we've got um, just a few minutes before we run out of time. Um, We're going to probably continue this discussion over in tomorrow simply because it I don't want this story to go away. I've already spent a good bit of time talking about the Bidens and how many shell corporations there are. If you've been listening to me and listening to this program, you know that, that, that there is a lot of evidence coming from bank subpoenas that the House Republican Oversight Committee has been able to obtain that demonstrates that for years— The Bidens have been channeling money to different Biden family members for absolutely providing no goods or services. It's just simply part of a system that works with corruption and other governments to get money into the Biden's pockets. And, of course, Merrick Garland is looking the other way because he was appointed by President Biden. He's not going to hold him accountable. Um, the, the, the entire Department of Justice has ignored this stuff. And Andrew McCarthy's got a great piece at National Review about this today. He kind of sums up a lot of the things that have already been discovered, and he's trying to keep the story at the top of the news. And I've, I feel like we need to do that. I, I don't think anything is going to be done to the Bidens criminally. I don't. Uh, I just I think our Justice Department is very corrupt when it comes to looking the other way on obvious crimes and very suspicious activity that the Bidens have been engaged in. They're they're just not going to lean into that. Um, and, I mean, unless at some point the powers that be determine that Joe Biden can't get reelected and they need him to step down and stop running for president then they might could use the Justice Department to pressure him into doing that. But it'll have nothing to do with whether or not this is the right thing to do to go after him for unethical and illegal behavior. Here's what McCarthy writes today, that what's been discovered so far detailing $10 million flowing from foreign sources to accounts of business associates, associates and family members of the Bidens that it's just the tip of the iceberg. McCarthy writes, NBC News reported last year, for example, that Hunter alone, this is Hunter Biden by himself, not the Biden family, raked in around $11 million in just five years, from 2013 to 2018, beginning soon after a drug test resulted in his quiet discharge from the armed forces after the then-Vice President's son at age 42 with a history of drug and alcohol abuse was somehow selected to become a commissioned officer in the Navy's Public Affairs Department. From that debacle, Hunter cruised to an exorbitantly compensated um, amount of money on the board of Burisma, a corrupt Ukrainian energy company. And, and what about 
did, 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 we do remember, McCarthy points out, that Hunter Biden's father, Joe Biden, happened to be Obama's point man on American policy in Kiev. That is, in, in I mean, in, um, the, in the Ukraine, the country where all of this is going on, where Hunter Biden is raking in all this money from Burisma, which is actually then being funneled to different family members. While the Justice Department has dwaddled over the Bidens for years, the House's Biden family probe is still in its early stages with Republicans having had subpoena power for just five months. Comer, who is the Representative Comer, he's building on the work of under-resourced investigation carried out by Senator Chuck Grassley and Senator Ron Johnson in 2020 in Biden's first two years. I mean, basically, they began to crack open this scheme, these two senators, Grassley and Johnson, but they didn't have the resources. And, of course, in a Democrat-controlled Senate and without any Republican influence uh, or any Republican ability to subpoena at that time, they were not going to get be able to get to the bottom of it. But right now, the, the Bidens, it's, this much is clear. The Bidens have done business with Chinese Communist Party operatives, with Yelena Buterina, the billionaire wife of the now-deceased Moscow mayor and Vladimir Putin, crony Yuri Luzhkov, and with a Russian escort service, which Hunter appears to have paid with part of the $100,000 his father wired to him in late 2018, apparently intended for drug rehab. So when Joe Biden was trying to help his son get through his drug problem, part of the money that he sent him was used for an escort service in Moscow. Uh, the House interim report is based mainly on evidence generated by Comer's first few bank subpoenas. More digging is underway, even with the incomplete, incomplete data set, however. A blaring alarm bell is impossible to muffle. The lack of obvious asset value in exchange for the millions paid to the Bidens. That's the thing that everybody needs to focus on here. Because when you've got millions of dollars coming into up to 20 shell companies, you should be able to go to those companies and see what those dollars are purchasing. Because they should be buying something unless they're buying influence, which is, it's beginning to look more and more like that's exactly what happened. Because there are no goods and services being swapped for large sums of money. McCarthy says, by contrast, the only apparent commodity in many hefty payments to Biden family members is access to Joe Biden and his political influence. And when you're talking about dealings with China, that's a major problem. The telltale signs of illegitimate business and reticulated payment arrangements featuring shell companies, complex banking channels, and money transfers to people with no clear and sometimes no plausible connection to the provision of goods and services, that's exactly what we're getting. And those practices are strongly suggestive of money laundering, which simply means it, it means that money's coming in, the source is being hidden because the money is going to people that did not provide any goods and services. It's just going to enhance their lifestyle. So, I mean, you, you should go check out this article at National Review today. Um, we'll, we'll go through some more of it tomorrow, but let me just go to the last paragraph here, here to kind of wrap it up for today. 
In a healthy political culture, Biden scandals would not be survivable. That's exactly right. Whether it was left, right, Democrats, Republicans, independents, it wouldn't matter who was in office if we had a political climate that said, we're going to go after corruption no matter where we find it in order to defend the government against these kind of operations. In the political culture we inhabit, the media and political establishment snooze while Attorney General Merrick Garland refuses to appoint a special counsel despite the Biden Justice Department's neon-flashing conflict of interest and resulting paralysis. He ends by saying, it's a disgrace. And so it is. And it'll continue to be until maybe at some point uh, there's enough evidence that comes out that the media can't ignore it and the Justice Department can't turn away from it. But I'm, I'm going to keep talking about it because I, you know, this is the kind of thing that we can't survive as a country. Um, we can survive a lot of things. We can survive some forms of social upheaval. We cannot abide corruption in government that goes all the way to the president that has been going on for years while family members have been enriched and no accountability has been brought to bear by a Justice Department. Those, those are the kind of things that once we get into that pattern, it's going to be almost impossible to recover. The debt ceiling, the things that we talked about today, plus the corruption of the government, those are the things that, are really, that really have the potential to bring us down as a country. And I just I hope you'll join me in prayer, praying that these things will be resolved and the people accountable will be or responsible rather will be held accountable. Because it, it, it doesn't matter that we have laws on the books unless we have the will to hold people accountable when those laws get broken. That's all the time we have for Christian for the program today. Almost said Christian worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. Hey. I said it for 22 years, old habits are hard to break. This is Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. You can download the podcast a little bit later today. You can go to the website, drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com to leave me a message. If you want to email me, it's info, uh, info at drtonybeam.com. You can get an email message to me. We'll try to go through some of them that I've received tomorrow. God bless you and have a good day.